Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast. I am super excited for another holiday season double feature. With me today, we have Greg Johnson. How are you doing, Greg? Um, just pretend I said something really funny for the intro. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious as always. And also with us, Amanda Longley. Mandy, how are you doing today? Merry and bright today. Merry and bright. All right. And of course, I'm your host, comedian and film critic, Nate Wyckoff. Uh, I'm excited to get into these. These are some unusual ones uh, for the holiday season. They are both sort of horror Santa Claus related films. Uh, we'll get into it. The reason I'm a little hesitant to label them is, uh, is there's good reason. Uh, okay. So the first film is Rare Exports. This is a Finnish production. Uh, the language isn't Finnish, but there's also English in there as well. I think it's clear that they were from the start aiming for a dual market, that they were really hoping to get some stuff in the U.S. market here. I, I think they probably can. It was filmed in Norway. And uh, I'm probably going to butcher most of the names of the people involved in this film. So I apologize up front. Um, but I also want to give a shout out to our new listeners in India and abroad. Uh, we have seen great support from you folks, and I'm really happy to have you on. And I want to mention to all of our listeners, get in the conversation if you want. If you have uh, feedback or you have films you'd like to cover or you have a film or a book or anything you'd like us to talk about, uh, shoot us an email at cultandclassicpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram actually, and follow us and reach out in our DMs on Instagram at Colton Classic Podcast. Okay, so the director of Rare Exports is Jamari Hillander, and uh, also is the writer, and the, the Hillander brothers uh, are credited with writing this, so his brothers as well. He directed several films before. This is not his first film. He directed Big Game with Samuel Jackson, um, which came four years after this in 2014. But he dressed it as a fakir and a film that I think is pronounced Yukonen, but again, terrible, terrible pronunciation on my part. Um, and that, that film was starring uh, several of the stars in this film, which are Jorma Tomila, Ona Tomila, and Peter Jacoby. And again, pronunciation is probably terrible. I am sorry. I am super American, and so I have very little ability at speaking other languages. So the plot of Rare Exports is that in this borderland of Finland, there is like this big hill, they call it a mountain, and uh, there's a, a crazy foreigner who's paying a lot of money to have it excavated. 
and he believes that Santa Claus has been imprisoned in ice in this mountain hill by ancient peoples, and he wants to bring him out. The only one that believes this is true is uh, the little boy, and uh, uh, Pietari, and Pietari is, of course, a little boy, so he can't convince anyone this is true, uh, but because it's the rural area of Finland, it's actually filmed in Norway, everyone has a gun. So everyone has a gun, there's lots of snow, and there is a crazy Santa creature, they think, roaming the wilderness, killing reindeer, and stealing children. And they all get caught up in this and end up trapping one of these creatures and trying to blackmail the guy that's looking for Santa into giving them money for all the reindeer that they lost to the Santa slaughter. Sounds like a lot. It's actually pretty simple because uh, right away you kind of know, you think you know what's going on. Uh, spoiler alert. I don't think it's really a spoiler. I think the movie is still worth watching if you know this. Uh, these are not Santa. These are elves or Santa's helpers. And what Santa's helpers are, are naked old men that look a lot like a scrawny European Santa. Um, and they wander around the woods doing Santa's bidding with sort of homemade garden tools, like, like hatchet things, I don't know. But they're freaky. And they have reflective eyes with cats kind of when they see children. It's a spooky touch. Potato sacks. Right, and they steal potato sacks so they can put children in the sacks and bring them to the feet of the frozen Santa. Uh, we'll talk about Santa, I'm sure, in this because I, I kind of feel like he's one of the things that I was most interested in when we actually see the reveal, kind of. First, I'm going to go to Greg. Greg, what did you expect from this movie going in, and uh, what was your take after seeing it? Um, well, I mean, I expected it to be um, pretty bottom of the barrel. Like, I wasn't expecting this to be a great film, and I left uh, pleasantly surprised. I mean, I thought this was funny. I thought it was creepy i thought it was very unique um like i loved this movie i would recommend it to i mean anyone honest to god like i i uh i would agree with that i think this is a pretty successful film ebert liked it a lot um uh, which i think is you know he likes some horror films but i think you can clearly call this a horror film and a, a christmas themed film but it's it's a weird one it's it's i feel like it's palatable to uh, the Western market, like me, but it's also got a very distinct European, um, Scandinavian flair to it. I, um, I, I mean, I would say it's a dramedy, if anything. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, I think I think you're right. It borders in into horror territory, but I think what this movie did really well is it took itself absolute, uh, maybe maybe not seriously, but it it believed in its own universe. It you know, these characters are all kind of plain straight men. They're just um, in, in, in the comedy sense. Um, and they're just really into what they're doing. No one feels like they're winking at you when they say something. It's just done very earnestly. And that's what makes it so funny and so interesting and kind of so thrilling. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's true. I think that I kind of enjoyed the fact that although they – the, the adults don't really believe um, Pietari in the beginning. Um, once it's revealed, once it's clear that this thing they've captured is not human, they're like, well, heck, it's Santa Claus, I guess. So let's sell Santa Claus. Uh, and, and of course, they're selling him because they believe that the people who excavated the mountain uh, released 
broke a fence that released wolves into their territory and killed their flock of reindeer. So they're out like $85,000. Um, so they're trying to recoup that. And they think that by um, giving this, this foreign guy Santa Claus, which they captured in like a wolf pit. So he was skewered, but he's still alive. Um, that they're going to make that money back. Mandy, what was your expectation going in? And then how do you feel now that you've seen it? I think like Greg, I kind of expected to be underwhelmed, but I went in like not knowing anything about the film other than the title. Um, I thought there was going to be more to do with actually shipping stuff. <laughs> I did as well. I did as well. <laughs> um, it was nice that they actually tied that in at the end, um, but it was it was a seemed like a funny title, uh, I guess, compared to how uh, Western movies are usually titled. Uh, so yeah, but I really, really liked it. I actually have already recommended it to somebody. Uh, you know, I think I'd only watched about half the film and then had to put it on pause and then still recommend it to them, like not having seen the ending yet. Uh, I really, really enjoy the um, authentic feel of a single father and his like middle school age kid, like living in this um, borderland house together, like them wandering around in their underwear all the time. Like it just felt real um the two characters and i, I think like yeah even though it was this crazy premise and um i also really like the ending where um like the child was given the opportunity to really like lead the plan like he's like i know what to do like i don't know how to deal with santa i've been studying this stuff and you guys have been listening to me like you guys are gonna do this i'm gonna do this i'm gonna be fine like just listen to me adults and like the thing and, and i really he, like that aspect and he's totally of the film right as well. like he saves the yeah. day 100 and it isn't that sort mm -hmm. of like you know oh like we did when we discussed adam's family values that oh it's not he saved the day sort of by random happenstance he's like no i have a plan and this is gonna ha be how it is and it's gonna be exactly this and it totally mm -hmm. is 100 um which i thought his growth was really believable i mean because he starts sure. off at this kind of child who's not really sure how to please his father what his place is in this little community that they're in and his one you know, friend is kind of a bully to him he's the lower totem pole you know yeah and then i mean you have that bit at the end where i mean he he puts the plan into motion it goes over mostly swimmingly and then he kind of had this opportunity to sacrifice himself and it's not this kind of grand heroic moment where he goes like oh like you know fuck you santa or just like yeah. some like zinger he's like tell my father what i did here like yeah He's still mm -hmm. that boy trying to prove himself to his dad in this kind of needless way. And I thought that that was really smart writing. It is, I think that's true. And I, I like that you said his grandiose like gesture at the end you know, is, is needless because as a viewer and as an adult, we know his father loves him a great deal. Like you can see it, um, but his father, it's sort of, it's, it's clear that his, the, the mother has passed away somewhat recently, perhaps. Um, they're obviously not wealthy people. And so you get uh, the idea that this family is struggling. The father burns Christmas, the Christmas meal, you know, like right away. And so all they're eating is gingerbread men. And the son says they're good, just as good as mom used to make. And then he says they're good. And then somebody else later says they're good. But you don't really know that they're good actually like it could just be that they're actually not good at all but it's just they're giving him this little bit 
Um, the elves sounded seemed to like very them. dry and crunchy. They did. Yeah. And I, I, I guess yeah. I looked this up. I guess traditional gingerbread is very like crunch, just like hard. So it, it's accurate, I guess. Um, but I like it's just I felt for this father, and it's one of those cases where I really wanted, like with many dramas, I wanted the characters to communicate more effectively with each other. But that's part of the story, right? Is that they are mm -hmm. struggling to communicate with each other. Like the dad only really knows how to do two things, which is ask his son to do something. Well, he doesn't even ask. Just tell him son, his son to do something in a normal register tone of voice or yell at his son. And both of them really have zero effect on the son. The son does what he wants 100% of the time, not in a mean way, but he's constantly telling the son, stay here. And the son literally is like, okay. And then follows him, not even waiting, just in step with him. He, he refuses to do anything the father says, really. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and I thought that was an interesting touch. And it was also pretty realistic. He, like this, He did close his eyes when he went into the slaughterhouse. Sure, yeah. And because his, his, father, told him his to father runs a slaughter, slaughter barn. Which I thought was the sweetest thing ever. Because you could tell he's like, I'm working. So close your eyes when you yeah. come in. And you could tell that was something they did all the time. Yes. So that his son didn't have to see like the butcher carcasses. And it was kind of, and it was cool too, because you kind of get the impression at first that this is like the He-Man father, like you need to be tough mm -hmm. kind of guy. But he's like, no, my son doesn't like seeing that. I don't want him to see this butchered pig. It's not, it's, it's why. So yeah, the was, father just has issue communicating with the son. He doesn't feel like they have anything in common and mm -hmm. he just kind of does what he can to make the son comfortable, but you can see he's out of his element. And so the, the, the progression of the story goes like this, right? They're excavating something. Um, and let's listen to this beginning when the foreign uh, magnate, we assume he's wealthy, obviously, is who spent his life trying to track down Santa, is talking to his workers once they found what he thinks is the ice chamber of Santa. Let's listen to this. This remarkable place puts even the pyramids to shame. It took the... Sami people of Lapland, centuries, to build this mountain. You have 24 days to open it. Roll up your sleeves. Prepare the dynamite. Do what you do best. You have a grave to rock. I like that line. Um, because obviously you hear the kids who were spying on this this speech up um, speak in Finnish for a moment, but uh, the line is cool because he's like, "Do what you do best. You have a grave to rob." It's it's almost like he's talking at the beginning as this sort of sanctimonious, like this is a great discovery, but then you see that it is like pure self. Uh, gratifying drive you know it just really sounds like greed that's driving this character that we don't see that much we only hear from him like once in the middle and then we see him at the beginning and then we see him at the end when he comes to pick up what uh the the, the finnish folk think is santa claus um so that's how the film opens and then we get we go with the child and his his friend um and uh and we kind of get a vibe for the relationship between the kid and his dad and uh, we watched the dad making a wolf pit trap, which is, you know, one of those like cover it with leaves and it's got big spikes at the bottom, which apparently we learn are illegal. We only learn that because when they catch something, it turns out to be a human looking person. Um, and, uh, and so uh, Guitari's dad gets, 
a couple of the town people to come in and and help him deal with this with his body and then of course it turns out to be alive we later find out that it is santa's helper one of many um and not actually santa and he's freaky like they did a good job he's legitimately unnerving um he he when he sees um pitari and he and his eyes do this little gold shimmer and it just shows you how inhuman that he is um and he doesn't respond to the people like he doesn't speak to them if you get too close he bites he bit a broom handle in half um and then like but otherwise he's this really scrawny raggedy bearded older looking gentleman um who hunkers down and just like stands there bleeding <laughs> from his 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 puncture wounds and until they you know tie him up and then dress him as santa to to sell to this guy and of course we think he's santa at least i did for the bulk of the movie until they meet this guy he's like this isn't santa this is one of his helpers and they're like what and the guy's like he says it's an elf like which you know um and i know that in in some i don't i don't know the specific geography but in some european countries santa doesn't have elves uh, he has uh, servants and in before that they were known as slaves and then when that became unpopular culturally they are now servants so uh, or helpers so it's interesting because then of course there is an attack from masses of these you know naked old men helpers that come out of the woods and uh, the the villagers hole up in in this storage unit which turns out to be where the elves have put all the stolen radiators, ovens, hair dryers, all sorts of weird things uh, to unfreeze Santa Claus. And this is where we see Santa Claus, kind of. I say kind of because he is enmeshed in a giant ball of ice. And all we see are these two enormous uh, ram-like horns protruding out of the front. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say we don't actually get to see any more of Santa beyond that. And I do think that's a bummer because I, I really wanted to see Santa Claus because after seeing the visual the choices that they made with the elves, the idea of what Santa would be, uh, I really would have loved to see. I don't begrudge them not showing more because um, I'm sure there's one budgetary restraints, but also I don't know how you would have wrapped it up so well if Santa had become free. Um, but there you have it. It's also a really interesting image because the radiators are all sitting there melting Santa's ice cube, but the elves have also then thrown all of the stolen potato sacks stuffed with the children at his feet. So it's one of the weirder looking scenes in, uh, in any sort of holiday film I've ever seen. I don't know, what, what was your guys' take on that whole, that whole turn of events? I mean, for me, um, I like that we didn't see the real Santa. I like that it was just the horns. I mean, we have the boy looking through, um, a, you know, his his historical texts yeah. and his research material on Santa. And we see some gruesome pictures of Santa, like him with like a young child, like over his knee, like lashing him. And you can like see like red along like where Santa's lashed this boy in this picture. Um, but back to why I enjoyed not seeing him I think it made him larger than life and it kind of made us connect with the boy a little bit more that he kind of had this idea of Santa as this this creature this thing he couldn't even fathom it and so did we and so did the parents by proxy um and then like you said I mean I think it's realistically it's budget stuff um the CGI when they did use it a little bit um, mostly when they showed the mobs of elves. Um, yeah. You could tell it wasn't great CGI, but that said, 
the director and cinematographer and the whole team made a lot of smart choices in using yeah. shadows and lighting to not really show you the you know the chips or the cracks in the film and it made it that much more terrifying and i think if you had had a big cgi santa i couldn't show this film to people in 20 years and not have them laugh at it true and and yeah the cgi is it's it's acceptable but it isn't you know uh it's not a big hollywood production i think the most heavily where i noticed it was the uh when they're luring the elves away because of course when they find santa uh Pietari has the idea that he's like hey go out and take the the helicopter outside and we will airlift all the kids and mass in, in their sacks and uh, I will ride with them and the elves will follow where the children go and we'll lead them to the reindeer pen and trap them in there. And of course, we get the most CGI when Pietari is clinging to this giant, you know, airlifted sack, bundle of sacks, uh, and, and for obvious reasons, that's CGI instead of strapping a child to a, a, <laughs> a swaying sky barge. Um, but, but yeah, I agree. And, and the scenes take place in a darker time. Like it's clearly becoming evening uh, as this arrives. So they're able to hide more details. Um, and I think it works, uh, as you said. I also think, and, and of course the way that they deal with Santa is that they, uh, while the children are leading the elves away, the other adults put a bunch of dynamite uh, in the ice uh, and blow it all up. I actually was thinking as I was watching this, I'm like, you know, it's sort of like a, a cross between a monster flick and a slasher flick in that there is a there are creatures and the people are are trying to convince other people that they exist, but they're hunting people or things around people, their children, their animals, things like that. And there are successful sequels in that film genre, like Halloween 2 or the recent Halloween uh, uh, sequel to the original 1978 one. I was thinking of that specifically because I actually would kind of love to see what a clever um, sequel to this could be, because there could be sequels to this. Um, we don't know anything about the Santa lore. They could tell us whatever. Um, and I'm sure that, and there are other things involved with actual um, Scandinavian myth around Santa that they could use. You know, who knows, maybe Krampus is in there, right? I, we don't know that there's other, there's other lore they could work with. And I would like to see something, you know, not even necessarily with the same characters, although it could be, but I think that it's, it's, I had fun with it. And so I want more. And uh, whether that's a sequel or not, I think that would be something interesting to consider. Mandy, you mentioned the title, Rare Exports. I too was confused by this title until the very end. Um, and this is the one thing, there's two things. One of them does, there's two things that I thought about in this film that were a little wonky and uh, one didn't bother me, um, but it is noticeable, which is this little boy has access to a bizarre amount of ancient texts on Santa Claus. His room is covered in books about the truth about Santa Claus. Now, I have never been to Finland or Norway, but I don't think there are that many household libraries in, in the borderlands, in the hinterlands about Santa Claus. That's why um, they couldn't um, eat anything other than gingerbread. They spent all their money on his, Santa his, Laura. His eBay bills are unbelievable. <laughs> a books cannot ship them fast enough. Um, mm, so yeah. I have been to Finland. Oh, give the us place the that I The place that I stayed did not have uh, an unexhausted library full of Santa texts from the ancient <laughs> world. 
Um, but I also went there in the summertime. And that was something that I noticed that bothered me like maybe a little bit about this film is like if they actually filmed it in the winter in the northern part of Finland or um, or not it's because in Norway actually in Norway because it's there is not very much daylight mm-hmm. um, at that time of the year because you know um, early mid December is a winter winter solstice so there would be the least amount of sunlight and there was quite a quite a lot of the film was taking place during the daytime. You wanted Most to see the daytime until the end. You wanted to see those like exterior um, sets that they were using, and I thought that was maybe a little bit weird for the time of year because there like really isn't a lot of hours that might represent the amount like an equal mm-hmm. proportion of the amount of the movie. Um, but, I mean, it's movie magic. You got to do it. And it could. And we're talking too. It could be. Story. Uh, it could be budgetary restraints as well, right? It's exactly. easier to shoot in the daylight. Um, and uh, yeah, my uh, our friend that lives in Finland is basically like, don't come here in the winter, be here in the summer. So I could see why they might want to do their work at that time of the year and not in the in the dark, dark of winter. That is that is an, that is good intel. Um, I, I think the reason that I was okay with the books in this, like as one of the things, is it's who doesn't love uh, a creature flick where there's like some ancient text involved? Like mm-hmm. it's the, it enhances the mystery because we've all seen books and gotten in, I hope, and gotten interested and flipped through and kind of started to like dig into some sort of research subject or something interesting. Um, yeah, and since Jeff's not here, I'll do a little rewrite. I wish <laughs> that there had been hints that maybe his mother had been yeah. like a librarian or a collector or like or some Mrs. kind Claus. of- Mrs. Claus, like <laughs> someone that like would have like collected these books and therefore they had more value to the child um, and more like truth to them, perhaps like more weight to them. Uh, and I don't know, maybe it was lost in translation or cut or something and, like why the books were there. Mm-hmm. I also thought it was that I'm like, did he go to the library? Like, would they even have a library? Yeah, it like, looks like there's <laughs> about four houses there. So yeah, in, in this in this area. Um, yeah, I would have really liked to see like a little bit more of a tie into why he had them and why they were so important, like why he was so invested in them. Mandy, I think that that also, I think that that's an amazing point. I think it also would have added dynamic to the father and son relationship, you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, it was the mother's books. And so that's why the father gets so haughty whenever the kid brings up Santa Claus and mythology and whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A little bit of like a, an ouchy, ouchy point, trigger point for him. I think that's a good point, and I noticed that too. Um, I also got a little bit of that with the the older character that's looking for Santa Claus that we saw in the beginning. I'm like, what's his story? Because I expected him to be, you know, um, the 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 financier of Jurassic Park. Do you know what I mean? Like, I expect him to be that kind of character uh, with that scope of role, uh, but he really doesn't. He's he's clearly very knowledgeable about what he's doing. He's tracked down the real life Santa Claus. He knows what an elf is. All these things. But then we don't see, like, that doesn't pay off for us, except for that one little reveal and setting the plot in motion. Um, I'm torn on whether or not that should have been explored, because it almost seems like then it's a separate movie. Like, there's two two sides to the same movie, and you have to pick one. Um, and I guess I'd rather go with Pitiari's. Again, I'm probably more and more butchering his name as we go. But um, uh, and you have to choose one. And I think that they 
they balanced it well enough. Um, the, the other thing that I, I was not thoroughly satisfied with the rare exports ending. And what we're talking about here, I didn't, I didn't hate it, um, but uh, the, the title refers to the ending of this, which is the group not only recoups their losses from the dead reindeer, but seemingly makes uh, uh, millions of dollars potentially by exporting these elves, which they have cleaned up kind of and trained to be Santa Clauses. So not Santa Clauses as in going down, you know, chimneys or arriving via ship or sleigh, depending on which country you're in um, and bringing treats, but like holding a child, stroking the child's hair and handing them a gift, very simple activities. And, um, and then shipping them all around the world. And I am just not convinced of what kind of product that would be because it, Part one looks like slavery. Part two sounds like sending um, a a differently abled individual with a limited skill set in a crate to perform a repetitive task for all eternity. I'm not sure. <laughs> I just don't really know. Like there wasn't any indication to me that that made any sense. I'm like, this needs more something. I didn't fully buy that because that's quite a turn from the small scope of the beginning of the film. Um, it was also unclear if they needed to eat. I don't know. And, uh, or and, anything, that, really. Or yeah, anything. they seem, and what their function for Santa, I guess they collect children for Santa. Is that their function? They and radiators. Yeah, they did that. Um, Misha but, Santa in the ice. He's obviously huge. He can't get in the chimney, so. <laughs> yes, and for our, our, our overseas listeners who may not be familiar, uh, Santa Claus, we should have probably started with this. Uh, <laughs> most most people have probably heard of Santa Claus worldwide, but if you haven't, um, he is a mythological figure in the West that uh, usually has a be older man, has a beard. In the America, he's considered very heavy, pot-bellied. He comes down the chimney if you're in America and leaves presents under a Christmas tree, which is a cut pine tree that you decorate in your living room. Um, there are variations on- A totally sober adult individual. <laughs> Totally, yes. He definitely doesn't raid your fridge and <laughs> grab your socks and put coal in them or anything weird. <laughs> there are all sorts. I The reason I say this too is because I didn't realize this. Like in the 60s, like Mexico did not have a very solid understanding of the Western Santa. And that's why we got that amazing 60s Santa Claus, the movie, uh, just called Santa Claus from Mexico, which I know I've mentioned on this podcast before because it's absolute insanity and I wholly recommend it to everyone. It's It's the most blasphemously insane Santa mythology ever. His best friends with Merlin, he has a castle in the clouds. He uses creepy eyeball and ear machinery to spy on children. It's brilliant. Um, and his reindeers mm -hmm. cackle like lunatic animals, but they're mechanical. I don't know, it's really weird. But anyway, Santa's different everywhere. So uh, <laughs> this um, was an I, interesting interpretation. I do, I do have a, a wild, wild take for both of you for the, mm -hmm. for the title. So. Going back to the, the film's villain, this uh, um, um, mysterious American investor, I guess you could try them as. Who's clearly um, not American, by the way. <laughs> yeah, um, clearly. <laughs> um, but anyway, let, let's take them as representing like American tourism. And so they're literally coming to Finland. Obviously, the film is, we've said is filmed in Norway, but it's Finland mm -hmm. for the sake of the film. Um, and 
tears up a giant hole in their mountain all to take from Finland their Santa Claus and sell it presumably in the States or like you said, do Santa Jurassic Park, whatever. Um, and so I feel like the, the title Rare Exports is kind of what if the film itself is the rare export of a Finnish team putting together a film about come to Finland yourself and see our majestic landscape, learn our stories, enjoy us, spend your money, but don't take from our land. Um, I, I mean, the film literally, doesn't it end with that little title placard of like, yes. from Finland, the, the home of the real Santa. The original Santa. The original yeah. Santa. Yeah. So that's my, my take on, I mean, one why I liked the villain is that mm -hmm. they're kind of this, this cliche and, you know, maybe we deserve to get kicked in the pants here in the States once in a while. So I was happy to see kind of this two-dimensional villain of us. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, that was just my take on the title. I, I like that interpretation. Yeah. I, he, I, I think I did have reindeer on a pizza when I was there. Oh, really? Was it good? Yeah, for real. Yeah, I remember it being just fine. <laughs> That's the real rare export. <laughs> yeah. Reindeer. Yeah. Reindeer. Reindeer jerky. Reindeer. Reindeer. I so the interesting thing is um, we didn't – so the idea they, – they talk a lot about Santa Claus sort of doing bad things to, you know, to naughty children. Um, but then we don't actually have – I was kind of a little – I mean, not disappointed. I enjoyed this film, but when we're picking it apart, uh, there were certain things that were kind of dropped by the wayside that I liked. For example, the rich financier, when when they when he realizes that his digging team has started to get into the ice uh, where Santa Claus is is somewhere trapped, um, he gives them these placards he's had made, and these they're little like and he's like just do this and you'll be fine, and they're ridiculous things like um, don't curse, don't drink, be kind, smile, like all these weird things that are of course. Things wash behind boys, your ears. Wash behind your ears. Things good children do, right? Uh, and it will keep you safe from Santa. And he says again at the end, but really, it doesn't seem to have any effect. The good or bad, the the elves take every child from the village, um, and we are to assume that they're going to take um, Pietari again. Um, and because the the elf that got caught in the trap had one of the potato sacks with it was a neat touch they when they take the children they leave this disturbing like straw grass um primitive doll human-sized doll yeah like an effigy in the bed um and uh, and those were creepy uh, but yeah I, I was hoping that there would be some sort of good you know naughty or nice uh dynamic but it really doesn't factor into the plot um yeah the santa's just kind of <laughs> there to cause misery no matter how good you the behave. santa is king kong he's, essentially and he's the, very and equal the, opportunity <laughs> yeah he's king kong and the and the natives bring him children because that's what he wants apparently uh, he likes veal um although he doesn't eat them that was just an interesting thing because he's a monster and he's treated like a monster in this film he's essentially a monster movie um but we really don't understand his motives or what he is or anything by the end. And that's an interesting, you know, sort of Cloverfieldish touch. Um, and I like that. I do like that. Um, but 
I like it because it makes me want to know more. Uh, <laughs> Which I mean, um, I mean, little trivia. Just kind of looking around on the internet, um, there was a, a bit about their Santa in Finland. Is let's see, here's my bad butchering. Um, Joel Puki which is um, loosely the Christmas goat. And it's this idea of like, a, of a man that becomes a man goat around the holidays. And that's kind of their origin story of Santa, which I guess factors into this Santa having the giant horns we see. Um, so I just thought that was kind of interesting to your point that, yeah, it's, it's almost literally a monster in the film as well as um in the the origin story and the folklore it's being drawn from yeah and i i there are all sorts of interesting you know european takes on santa claus um it seems almost like and i don't know that i'm sure there's really fascinating papers written on this but um the idea you know krampus became popular in film in the u.s here you know within the last decade oh yeah and of course krampus being this sort of um foil to santa santa gives presents to the good children and krampus um, uh, abuses the bad children. And, uh, and it seems like in many of the early Santa myths, they really were the same thing. They weren't two separate entities. And that's sort of what this feels like, right? Krampus often has this animal appearance. Um, one thing I'll say about the ancient books the kid was reading, they got the size all wrong because Santa's about the size of someone's 90-year-old grandmother in the drawings, um, about the same size as those kids. And uh, the real the Santa in this film looks to be about the size of Gamera, uh, you know, flying devil turtle, um, friend of children. But yeah, so I, uh, <clears throat> I think that that's... Uh, I think that's interesting. And, and I, I do recommend this. I can see why Ebert liked it. I can see why it's a popular um, holiday movie for, for sort of creature feature lovers and things. And I, again, I was, I was super happy when I thought that the, the Santa's helper was, was Santa because I mean, it was great. Like that was a great touch there on the elves are unnerving. They're, they're primitive. It's like you took um, Edgar's the witch and mashed it together, you know, with with uh, got with like the American Godzilla, and then put it in a Christmas motif, and you get this film, and I like that. So I think we're gonna cruise along here to the recommendations. Wait, so oh, yeah. I was just I was just scanning while we we're looking at. There are some pictures in there of him being gigantic and like towering over the trees. Really? So if you look back at, but they scanned okay. them really quick. I was just like scanning it um, while you were talking, but yeah, there's definitely at least one with big horns, and there's like bodies hanging from them on ropes. Ooh, I like, like that one. I don't remember that one. Yeah, That's it's really crazy. So, yeah, but uh, most of them, I think, are, like, the helpers, but there's definitely one of, like, this huge towering creature, like, over... It still looks man-like. And I really okay. like that they... Yeah. I really like that they have the, um, the, the sort of German and European things about Santa Claus that I am familiar with, which are, like, the switch you know, that he beats the children with a switch, the branch of a tree. Mm -hmm. And like when Santa Claus is thawing, like you see this giant like berry switch. I mean, essentially the size of a tree, small tree coming out, you know, and getting hit with that would be a lot different than getting hit with a twig or a sapling branch or something. Um, and then of course, shoving them in sacks and kicking them, I've heard is also a punishment for bad children in some places from Santa. Mm. So um you wouldn't, yeah, the whole sleeping, I don't know how that's supposed to get children to go to sleep. Because if you think mm. you've been bad, I don't know if I'm going to go to sleep to be woken up 
you know, like I'm being thrown in an Afghani prison by American troops. I'm not, that's not my, right. it's not my idea of Christmas joy. Uh, so let's, we'll move right along here. Mandy, who would yes. you recommend rare exports to and why? Oh, or who uh, did you recommend it? I recommend it to someone who um, likes like kind of weird movies, uh, you know, and I don't know. It's just like, I think that that's just what we usually end up recommending movies to people is if you like something that's a little weird off the, off the, uh, the path more often traveled, like check this out uh, as great kind of imagery of a single dad and his kid. Uh, just um, trying to make their way in, in their difficult life that they're in, but in a pretty authentic um, treatment. And some Scandinavian, uh, probably totally possibly Finnish culture. <laughs> yeah, we're just possibly. If they're on, they're definitely on a borderland because there's like a big deal for them to go over the fence because it's like, I think it's going into a different country. Yeah, and they, they talk about Russians. Like, I don't know if the financier was supposed to be Russian, yeah. and then it just so happens that some of the workers were sort of U.S. mining. Yeah, so something. it was like a big deal that they're, yeah, I don't know. But it was, it's just like, it's just really good, interesting film. Um, the story was very well put together, well written. Like, I especially like the touches over the kid's advent calendar and him closing yeah. the door for Christmas Eve, and then they get to the the end um the final set they're at like this hangar where like the helicopters come in like the actual export area perhaps the shipping yeah, zone yeah, mm -hmm. um and the door is labeled 24 just like his advent calendar and i thought that was just a very nice way to kind of tie together his um apprehension over christmas eve and like the climax of the film and like meeting of the i, I don't know not really the antagonist but like the thing that everyone fears the well, most the turning is behind point, right? yeah. it is literally behind that door mm -hmm. which is the equivalent of his advent calendar door and i thought that was really cool so it's just like a very nice neat little film so if you like that check it out if you're looking for a different non-traditional christmas movie than um what's that one that everyone likes with bruce willis die hard like Die Hard. If you're looking for a new new one that's not Die Hard, that's also not really a Christmas film, but has some action in it, like this might be for you. You like reading subtitles, so true. And I will keep say, the dialogue, sharp. the dialogue's not heavy. So for those of you who are reticent to, to read subtitles, most of the characters are fairly short. You know, they speak fairly short sentences. They're not going to go on a diatribe. You know, there's no um, Shakespearean. Uh, monologues in here. Uh, Greg, who would you recommend Rare Exports to and why? And by the way, guys, this is, if you're looking to purchase this or stream this, it's often subtitles Rare Exports, A Christmas Story or a Christmas Tale. So uh, it's actually, yeah. I looked it up, it's actually free on a couple different services right now. Oh, nice. Excellent. Excellent. And, um, uh, yeah, Greg. Yeah. Um, I mean, I said earlier, I'd recommend it to anyone. I mean, I'm going to stick by that. Um, but to be a little more specific, yeah, I, I think, Mandy, you hit the nail on the head. Um, if you want a non-traditional Christmas movie, if you're looking to try a foreign film, um, this one's pretty good. I mean, obviously, as soon as you start it up, you're like, oh, okay, I, I'm going to be reading subtitles. But, like, partway through, I mean, pretty early in, I forgot I was reading. 
I mean, it's it's so engaging. Yeah. There's it's not crazy dialogue heavy. The visuals are really stunning. It's it's just an all around great film. Um, I was thinking about you know the ending, and I realized I liked it so much because I was thinking about the ending for Shaun of the Dead actually, where mm-hmm. it's kind of this zombie film for Shaun of the Dead that ends in a non-traditional way and this ends in kind of a non-traditional way with the monsters being monetized mm-hmm. um oh and uh, to double back earlier uh, Nate you were right um they are British um explorers or whatever that are digging up the mountain not American but still two sides of the same um colonizer as a villain coin so sure yeah, and I mean, and we know one of them was American because they had a passport. So it's clearly, it's like, a, yeah. it sounds like a mercenary endeavor, you know? Um, I like what you said with Shaun of the Dead. And I think it's sort of like the same device, but the reverse. Shaun of the Dead, most of it is very playful. And then the ending becomes very serious and sort of a, a, a traditional zombie flick. And that's a, a flip for the audience. And this one, it's a tense, clever film. And then the end is more jovial is not the right word but a little it's witty but it's more uh less grounded in realism i think than the than the the early part of the film so i thought that was interesting and i think you're right i think that that flip is um is present there i would recommend this film to people who like me who really like the spielberg designed child adventure movies i'm not talking so much goonies as i am um et and then more so later films like Super 8 uh, and the spin-off style films like that, like Cloverfield, even though that doesn't have children. I mentioned that before. But these kind of, um, a group of people has to deal with something much bigger than them. And they often, those films start in a small town. They usually have uh, a kid or something who has uh, no power, you know, someone who's traditionally not in a position of power. And they have to become a leader of some kind. And it usually involves a monster or something supernatural or an alien. I like those kind of films. I think a lot of people do. And this will fit that bill for you. Um, It's got that fun. It has that wit. It's a little bit of humor, like Greg said. Um, It's a little bit of tension. There's some good horror elements. Uh, I also don't think anyone watching this, it's rated R for violence. but it's not a gore heavy film or anything like that. Yes, there's some death. Um, the most gore you see is perhaps, you know, a butchered animal. Uh, and even that's not gratuitous. It's very realistic and it's not played for, for nausea. So I, I recommend this across the board. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back with Infinite Santa 8000. Hey, cult and classic crew, friends and fiends of the pod, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Nate, I don't have any money, and if I did, I'd be spending it on cool things like buttons and custom trading cards and zines that are unique and made each week by the cult and classic podcast family. And guess what? You can do both of those things at once. You can support cultandclassicpodcast.com and get awesome swag like buttons and custom trading cards that are printed on actual trading card stock by actual trading card printers and autographed by the artist and also zines like classic issues of rearted with comics and illustrations and interviews as well as brand new cult and classic podcast family publications that uh, are brand new so you'll get them first in line these are awesome, awesome things that you can get just by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash 
Colton Classic Podcast. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get videos of our episodes, you can see all our lovely shining faces, as well as exclusive content like uh, extra episodes, film reviews, book reviews, and things like commentary by us on our short films, which you'll also be able to see. If you want to pay a little more, $5 a month per se, US, then you get an awesome autographed custom trading card. These are official printed uh, at the same place that prints every other trading card you've ever bought, and they're autographed by the artist. These are exclusively for Colton Classic Podcasts and inspired by our episodes. They, you can't get them anywhere else except through us. Only $5 a month, you get it shipped right to you. Shipping is free. If you pay $10 a month, if you are a true drinker of the Kool-Aid for ColtonClassicPodcast.com, then you will get uh, the trading card, access to all of the content that is exclusive to Patreon members, and you will get a brand new zine every month, whether it's a classic uh, copy of Rearded Zine uh, with interviews, comics, art, all sorts of cool stuff, or brand new Colton Classic Podcast family publications. Those will get sent straight to your door. Plus there's usually extras like pins, stickers, all sorts of cool stuff. So you're doing two great things. You are spending money on awesome swag and you're supporting Colton Classic Podcast. I know it's tough right now in the pandemic. If you can do it, join us at Colton Classic Podcast Patreon. If you can't, why don't you recommend it to a friend? We all have those rich friends and uh, they can spread it around a little more. I'm just going to say it. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, as always, Colton Classic Podcast loves you. Welcome back. We are discussing another holiday flick, Infinite Santa 8000. Now, when you hear that title, Infinite Santa 8000, you might think, I'm going to see 8000 Santas or Infinite Santas. Uh, I don't really think you see either of those things in this movie, but it does give you an idea of what kind of shtick this film is working with. It's from 2013. It is an animated film. And the plot is that far in the future, uh, a war has ravaged the world. No normal people are left. There are only what they refer to as, uh, I think, like robot people, mutants, and scum. That's, those are the three types. And it's never 100% clear which type is which because lots of things look like robot mutant scum. Um, this is a hard one to tackle. If, if anybody hasn't seen something for this movie before, which is common, uh, go Google Infinite Santa 8000 and you'll instantly see the art style. It's very limited animation. Um, it's obviously not high budget, very vibrant colors. It's sort of like uh, a cartoon from Newgrounds sort of had a baby with an adult swim show. It's somewhere in the middle. Like it's not up to the caliber of an adult swim show, but it's not as basic as some of the user-generated content on Newgrounds. Somewhere in the middle. Like high detail, low uh, anatomical correctness scale. You know, things like that. Perspective and scale are warped. It's sort of like, it looks like somebody colored doodles and put them to animation. I'm not against avant-garde animation. I was totally fine with it. What did scare me when I first saw this, this film was the hour and 35 minute runtime because often animated features sort of that are, that are real rough around the edges are very independent, uh, very low budget. They grate on you if they go on too long. Um, 
this may be the case with this film for some people, and there's several reasons. We, I think we have some uh, different views on this film, so we're gonna dive right into the plot, which is way in the future, after a war, everything's decimated, everyone must kill to survive, even Santa Claus. So uh, I guess Mandy let us know that the film, the 8,000 refers to the year that this movie took place. Uh, I didn't know that. Greg, I think, didn't realize that either. Um, I think that was my best guess. It was. I mean, it's, it says it's the tagline on IMDb in the year eight thousand. Everyone must kill to survive, even okay. Santa. Even so Santa. Okay. that covers maybe, the Santa and the eight thousand. Maybe you'll get into the infinite. Yeah. The the. the <laughs> hmm. uh, so yeah, I'm not sure what the title concept was here. Uh, there's a, a little narration at the beginning that gives us sort of the vibe to set up, and then. Uh, it's sort of a, it's sort of like the fifth element kind of in a way. Uh, it's that kind of movie where uh, our hero, Santa Claus, is trying to protect a more vulnerable person from an evil power. The more vulnerable person in this case is the robotic person, actually just a robot, Martha. Martha has been created by Dr. Shackleton, who is uh, male, but clearly voiced by a woman, that, that's fine. Uh, but it does sound like a, a, a sort of a um, a B-list character from the Golden Girls, you know, someone who died in that episode Wait. and then they remember later. Was the character supposed to be male? Yeah. yeah. Oh. They refer to him as him most of the time. <laughs> okay. um, so, yeah. So Dr. Shackleton is this sort of like hobbled together robot mutant person with an exposed brain. Very, like most characters in this movie, very disturbingly rendered. Um, I'm all for that. I like mutants. I like weird art. I'm okay with that. <clears throat> this character uh, wants Martha back, but we don't, it's not clear why. This character, Dr. Shackleton, is the ultimate evil character trying to make an army of mutants and robot creatures to uh, destroy all life on the planet and repopulate it in, quote, her own image. Um, it's, of course, Santa wants Martha because Santa has got Martha taken out her self-destruct chip, which never really comes into play on why they mention that. And then um, he, she's rekindled his feeling of hope because she loves Christmas and she likes hearing his Christmas stories. Uh, the, the plot, that is the plot. I think I'm going to go on a limb and say the biggest problem with this film isn't even the graphics or anything like that because I am all for people trying something different. Uh, and going out and, and biting off a little bit more than they can chew maybe. But the problem is the plot doesn't really go anywhere. We know the plot is Dr. Shackleton is evil and wants Martha. Um, we don't really know why Dr. Shackleton extracts DNA or something from Martha, but then it doesn't seem like Dr. Shackleton even uses it. Instead, he uses the gene, the DNA he extracts from Santa to bolster his his soldiers and even that's not really made clear like they get bigger i guess but they seemed pr plenty formidable before it doesn't change the plot for us at all um and then like santa doesn't want to fight and is forced to fight and kill dr shackleton it, it's just there are twists and turns really um the the twists and turns are just that are there are very obvious from the start like martha is constantly in danger eventually she's killed um, spoiler alert, they bring her back. Uh, so, but it's, it's, again, it's just not a, nothing is unexpected. Any, everything that happens, I see coming, which is crazy because at one point, um, 
monkey men with lobster claw arms run at Santa in hordes. I mean, that those two things, as I expected, and lobster claw monkey men should not go together. I should inherently not expect monster monkey men with lobster claws. But I was not surprised when it happened in this movie. And I also was not really energized when it happened in this movie. Um, obviously, Santa wins, Martha's saved, um, and they have, and at the end, they have an army of Martha-esque robots that Dr. Shackleton created uh, that believe in Santa too, and the world looks like it might have a happier future somehow. We're gonna jump right into this. Mandy, what did you expect going into this film? And then what was your take after you saw it? Oh my gosh. Um, I guess like I, with the infinite part, I was thinking like there would be more commentary on the long longevity of Santa this far in the future. Um, and then, hey, I mean. He seems to be immortal, I, right? They don't mention yeah. it, but he like, he like grows back like his skin. He's like a cyborg and yeah, he has a limb cut off. Mm -hmm. He can he can reattach the limb. Um, he's obviously very strong. Uh, yes, I don't know. I was definitely not expecting it to just to be like an hour and a half of fight scenes with basically no different notes to the plot, like at all. That's um, a good way to describe it because that's what it is. Uh, it is yeah. sort of like an hour long chase scene, and they just every time oh, it's this battle, and then they return to Santa's ranch. This battle, mm -hmm. it's, it's very, until, until sort of the final run, it's the same. And even that has smacks of similarity. Yeah, I guess like, yeah, I didn't know what to expect, um, and I expected more. Well, so that's fair. your fault. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> My yeah. expectations were set too high because they were not completely on the floor. But yeah, no, it was, I, and like you said, like, um, I was pleasantly surprised by the art style. Like, although there's not a lot of animation, I really liked um, how adventurous they were and like what they were doing with the art. Um, like Dr. Shackleton actually has like a steel plate over his, her mouth. Um, yeah. And like kind of talks out the side, like, like a stroke victim or something. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, but like, it was very much it was a so, curious yeah. way to, curious way of of animating um, animating that character and not actually having the mouth move very much um i don't know i'm like just it like you said like lobster claw arm man like that's quite uh you know uh very inventive there's a lot of imagination going on in this film uh a even the reindeer like bark like dogs or like make dog do. noises and not reindeer noises. noises and I'm like oh maybe there's more to that I don't know but and like, they're like robots as well yes um, yeah like and you don't know the lead is of course it's not Rudolph it's Randolph and has a glowing mm -hmm. red nose and Randolph seems to be different than the other ones right you almost think Randolph is yeah. partially like a, a living creature as opposed to the others that are robots special in some way so yeah anyway I had no expectations I don't even know if there is a preview to watch for this, but I didn't watch it. I didn't read There's the IMDb on some it. Kind. Um, yeah. And, and I will um, say, I think I'm not, I couldn't find any official evidence of this, but it seemed to me like originally this might have been envisioned as episodic. So there mm. were, there would be episodes, which would sort of make sense the way it's structured. Like, oh, this is this scene and then it ends and, and previews the next bit. Like for example, mm. the first, 
uh, big action scene we get, it's not a big, but the first action scene is when we get introduced to Santa is that he's fighting in like a death battle against some sort of robot guy. Um, and, and then once it ends, it seems like that's the end of the first segment. And then the next one starts when he's getting his payment for that battle. And then he goes back and you meet Martha and Martha yeah. is introduced. And then the next segment is uh, the Easter Bunny or an Easter Bunny of some kind, doesn't seem like it's the actual mm -hmm. only Easter Bunny, um, kidnaps Martha and Santa goes on a high-speed chase to get her back. So it seems like it was probably episodic. I think that would be a much easier way to take the film. Um, mm -hmm. But it also- Probably be more engaging overall too. Probably, um, <clears throat> but it's it still begs the problem that there's not a huge amount of like, I guess it's not complicated enough, right? Um, mm -hmm. I want some more complication involved in the plot to keep me going. Um, those of you watching the video of this on our, our YouTube uh, are seeing me mess with my hair a lot. It's this, the, the shelter in place, I've been cutting my own hair. It's like I've developed a sort of like, um, looks like I have a toupee on, but it's not a toupee. And oh, it's yeah. a toupee. Oh, it's, 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 <laughs> it's a toupee just growing straight out of my head. Um, yeah. So back to Infinite Santa 8000. Yeah, it seems a little episodic. Greg, um, you don't like this film. I'm going to hazard this guess here. What would you Ow, think? You would hazard correct. What did you expect going in and what was your take coming out? Um, well, I mean, every, every week I'm, I'm here, um, you know, you give us two films and I always have one in my mind. That I'm like, okay, this will be the one that I really like. And this will be the one that's going to be hit or miss. I thought Rare Exports, like I said earlier, didn't expect a lot, turned out to be great. This was the one I thought would be really fun. And man, I was just fucking bored. Um, the, the cover art reminded me a lot of Celebrity Deathmatch. So yeah. that wasn't a great start that I kind of put the bar up there. Yeah. Um, jump into it and I'm like, okay, it looks a lot like heavy metal. I can mm -hmm. dig it. I'm, I'm enjoying some of the crazy character designs like, you know, Jendi, uh, uh, Tartakovsky on acid <laughs> running right. through the characters. Um, but man, like, I don't even know where to begin. Um, the pacing was all over the place. Um, slow, mm -hmm. fast, like you said, I, I, I would buy the episodes because you definitely have these, these kind of pickup moments and then it slows down again, but then it picks up and it kind of runs the problem of it keeps you at an 11 for so long that mm -hmm. you you just you forget where you are and there's a driving metal soundtrack during the action too which it's not badly it's not bad music no it's, it's great just, music it's like, just um mm -hmm. it's it gives you no time to breathe or recalibrate and i don't think that the the actual action on screen breathes or recalibrates either it pretty much is unrelenting sameness um yeah different characters same scenario right like santa claus being attacked by hordes of the same thing and then getting sh and then shooting them and having them explode in the same way, um, mm -hmm. it's obviously it, a budgetary limitation partially. Um, it, and it, it's just, I think the other the other cardinal sin this movie had was it seems to forget its own rules. It's it's not chaotic enough that I accept the absurdity. It's got enough kind of rules of like cyborgs and mutants, but then some of them don't have any blood when they're killed and some of them spurted out like a geyser mm -hmm. um i didn't really buy 
Santa Claus's motivation, which is a bizarre thing to start critiquing in this, but <laughs> it popped into my mind. I'm thinking about, you know, Rare Exports set up this this um, um, Santa mythology that you kind of accept of what his motivations are. He's a mythological creature from beyond versus this one. It's kind of the more traditional. It was a human Santa with, you know, wants and goals. Um, and I'm thinking about like, we just watched the life and adventures of Santa Claus. And then, you know, we talked about Santa Claus is coming to town. And those are two films that kind of build up the human element of Santa. So you understand where he's coming from. And obviously this is an animated film. Maybe I'm, I'm asking too much of it, but when you're telling me Santa's here for the good of the world, but then he has enough quips to fill a warehouse whenever he's killing people like i don't buy this plot you've said of oh santa really doesn't want to kill but man santa has more guns than like a texas homeowner like i mean what <laughs> yes. what what do you want like what what is happening um i thought there but, would be more santa magic right because yeah. because it seems like because I think uh, reading a lot of other reviews, um, and this film has actually been reviewed fairly well. I think I think a lot of people enjoyed this film, and I mean I'm going to say this. I'm going to say I'm not mad. I watched this film. It it gave me what I expected, but unfortunately it didn't give me more than I expected, which would be a great film. Um, and some of the things that I'd hoped for were maybe a little less. I, I think that the I think a lot of the reviews that I saw said kind of what you're saying you didn't see, which is it's a weird that a film filled with so much gruesome brutality has Santa Claus remain sort of uh, an unwilling participant. Um, he, he sort of, and he does say that often, um, you know, like I don't want to kill people, <laughs> you know, I don't want to. And I, there's, there's only a certain amount of time that I will, that I will roll along with that. Um, mm. And I think what you're saying is it's crossed. And I, I think that's true. I, I do think, though, that the, 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 what some people have noted as a weird, like, heart or warmth to, this, to the story is present in a way, in that the end is like, it's, it's, it ends in a weirdly happy place, but it's still so discordantly ugly that... <laughs> That like it's just I, I don't I don't know I almost would have been more at home had it been like this super nihilistic dumpster ending I, I guess it just it just seems that the juxtaposition didn't play I think for the film's favor weirdly enough for me yeah I'm I'm thinking about like a TV show uh, formerly a YouTube video like Tigtone. Um, which is, it's balls out. If you've never seen Tigtone, just Google it and watch the YouTube. It's like 13 minutes um, and they turned it into like a 30 minute adult swim show. And it, I feel like this is trying to be that. This is trying to be heavy metal. Um, it's trying to be a lot of things and it comes off like a bunch of 12 year olds who had really cool sound and character designs and some great, amazing artwork. And then they have Santa like calling people basically like a butthead. I mean, yeah, it's, it's weird. There's, there's no, there's sort of, I didn't notice any real language until I think at the end. He dropped he said, the F-bomb once. He dropped the F-bomb once. And which is an interesting thing because dropping the F-bomb once still allows you to be PG-13. Yet 
I don't think this film was ever in danger of that. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think they were worried about what the um, yeah, MPAA thought. I, I guess I kind of expected, I expected it to be more outrageous. Um, yeah. and, and it wasn't. Uh, it's not, and again, I think there was some enjoyment to be had in this movie. My biggest critique is that it's an hour and 30 plus minutes mm -hmm. and it should have been an hour max. Um, and because that's because we're, we're, when we're talking about it dragging in the action scenes, it's the reuse of shots. Um, even if it's, you know, technically a different shot, it's the same animation cells being warped, you know, as with a lot of current animation, which is great. It's a time-saving tool, but in only slightly different ways. And when you look at the same thing, like part of the joy of something like heavy metal, and I adore heavy metal, both the publication and the films, um, especially the original film, it's a spectacle. There is always something new to see every time you look at something in it. And this has that initially, but then once you've seen like maybe five minutes into a segment, you've seen mm -hmm. most of what it has. And that's a problem because if you're not constantly giving me something new, I need plot. And if the plot's not there and I'm not seeing something new, it doesn't matter how driving the soundtrack is, uh, I'm not, or how, you know, bright the muzzle flares are or whatever. It's just not enough for me. Which um, the soundtrack again was really exceptional. Like actually mm -hmm. everything kind of was pretty solid. I was, I was actually quite surprised that the, um, the, the voiceover was well done. Um, the, I, the, I could have taken or leaving some of the, the choices on voice work. I, I think the, the, for me, the most successful was, uh, Dwayne Bruce, who's Santa. Um, he yeah. sounds, uh, a, a lot like, you know, the, uh, I, f I forget his name, famous comedian thief from, um, uh, the, the once and future King, the princess bride. Um, he oh, sounds, Carrie Ewell's. Oh, I'm, uh, oh, no, I'm, I'm mixing up my people no, no, entirely. Not him. Yeah, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> it, it's just, uh, I, I thought he was a jolly sounding, like he sounded like someone who would voice Santa in a Burl Ives animated Christmas special. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I liked him. Dr. Shackleton's voice is grating. Um, mm -hmm. And the other problem that they have, because it's technically well recorded, there is a lot of mouth breathing, moaning, laughing, just sort of sounds that aren't language. Um, especially the endless when, laughing was the endless really laughing. a lot. Martha, because Martha is supposed to be um, sort of developmentally, you know, differently abled or something, because she's not quite right. Um, she's a Like robot. all the robots were a little bit Off. iffy. Yeah, yeah and, um, and let's just listen to this. This is Santa... But. This is uh, this is Santa has just won his uh, death battle and his his winnings are um, a pack of meat and then he can take what's left of his opponent to eat, uh, which is a nice touch. I like that post-apocalyptic cannibal touch. Uh, but this is him narrating to us part of the world while he is dragging meat across a desert. And this is what we listen to. I can't stand the taking of a life. Even if it is a scumbag killbot. But we all have to eat. Nothing much grows out here. Not after the last war. No more grocery stores. No malls. No coffee shops. No parties. No laughing children. So you can hear the sound quality is good, but I didn't need 
Santa's groaning and grunting the entire time he's narrating because it's in the background. Like, I, I don't need that. Um, and by the way, this was some of the better writing in the, in the film because I was actually mm-hmm. getting story. Um, whereas a lot of it isn't. It's just, I'll get you, you'll pay for this. Like, it's that kind of thing over and over again. And the actor I was referencing in uh, uh, Princess Bride is, is uh, Wallace Shawn, who is oh phenomenal. okay Vizzini. yeah Vizzini from um yeah Vizzini. so and rex from toy story all sorts of wonderful things but yeah that specific clip mm-hmm. reminded me of the exposition and narration sections of vampire hunter d which is mm. like an anime i don't know if either of you have seen it yes. but like the yeah the um but even the tone of voice like the voice actor it sounds very very similar in that but is it had a similar cadence and like level of exposition is as that anime yeah and i think um again i think the voice act i think it's weird to say that everyone involved seems to have put a lot of heart and energy into this project and i think that shows but somebody wasn't focusing enough on the writing and the writing or maybe even the editing because it really needed to be shorter. Um, See, and- I, I, I think you could have, if you, if you heightened the writing, if you just went through and really made this outrageous, I'd be fine that it's an hour and a half. I'd be fine with some slower bits. It was just during the slow bits, I know I'm not going to be coming back to anything I'm going to enjoy writing-wise. Yeah. And so I'm just kind of living for the action moments and you know, that's not enough, like you said, to sate me for an hour and a half. Yeah, I was waiting for the new visuals, you know, like at the end, the the ultimate villain, although Dr. Shackleton is, you know, the mastermind, is really the giant bunny, right? Like there's a giant Mm -hmm. bunny that is the one that initially kills Martha and, and dismembers Santa Claus. And I guess... The other thing, too, is uh, I'm all for stylized hyperviolence. I mean, it, that's, you know, uh, being raised on anime and heavy metal has that effect on someone. And, or perhaps it's because I enjoyed it that I was drawn to those, but that's the decision for the courts. Uh, I think the violence in it is not, it's weird to say, but it's not detailed enough. Um, if you're going to have a lot of head explosions, I'd rather one really epic head explosion that lasts two to 10 seconds, then five minutes mm-hmm. of repeated generic, you know, uh, particle effect blood spray or something. You know what I mean? Like it just, I wanted a little mm-hmm. higher quality if that's what they're going to do. Um, because the design is great. It's wonky. In fact, uh, our last, uh, one of our recent minisodes uh, was a review of zines, including uh, the film review series work print, but also uh, zines by Dakota Cartoon, uh, a comedian and, and writer, Dakota Freeman. Check it out at Dakota Cartoon. Great stuff. Very similar vibe. Really wonky, off the wall, 2D, odd perspective illustrations with really witty, clever, intelligent, um, yet coded with sophomore humor writing. And that kind of stuff, you know, it's, it's what Adult Swim has become famous on. And there's a reason. It's engaging. Uh, you know, it's South Park. It's, it's brilliant. And, and this, I think what it sounds like we're saying is, is missing one of the two. Sometimes the visuals take precedent. And when they can't 
continue to provide new visuals, then it's tired. And that's a, that's a lot to slog through uh, for an indie feature for an hour and 30 minutes. So I guess what I'd like is I'd like to see another film done with similar effort, but with better writing and a willingness to cut more. Um, if this I, is... I, I have the uh, recommendation for you. It's oh, um, well, it's uh, Jack Black and Kyle Gass's Apocalypto on YouTube, which is basically them playing themselves waking up to the apocalypse, and it's it's um, I think it's just stills. Like they're basically just going from like drawing to drawing <laughs> while they voice over it, and it it reminded me a lot of this. But like that was something where I think. It's maybe six or eight episodes, each episode being like 10 minutes. And it's really, I think, a master class in cheap but hilarious, um, like, shorts. Like, it's, it's if you really? want to do something with a long-form plot that's m tied by vignettes and it has, you know, an apocalyptic setting, like, Apocalypto. Like, there you go. Cool. Definitely check it out. And of course, Jack Black is brilliant and his crew yeah. is always welcome. Um, so yeah, let's get right into it. And I'll say this up front. Um, I actually can see myself recommending this to a certain type of person. It has to be someone with high patience, yet satisfied with perhaps less than, um, than, than I am. Because if, if you go in looking for just insanity, this has insanity. Um, if, if you go in though, looking at something that you're gonna sit down on the couch and focus on 100% for an hour and 35 minutes, then you're probably gonna be lacking. Um, but hey, playing in the background at your next Christmas party, that could be a blast. You know, you tune in or tune out, you're not really gonna be missing much. In the year um, 8,000. Huh? And we're allowed to have Christmas parties again. Right, exactly. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to zoom Christmas party this in the background on the TV, I mean, you, you do you, but. Go for it. Um, <clears throat> so I'll start this one on the recommendations. Like I said, I'm going to recommend this to people who want some insanity. They like a little bit of childish hyperviolence. Um, and they like the idea of, a, of apocalyptic future Santa battles. Um, but I do think you're going to be disappointed if you're the kind of person that thinks up creative ways to do things differently because then you're going to be watching it thinking, Oh, I, they could have done this or they could have done this to make this more engaging. Um, you know, why did we see the Easter bunny, but then no other holidays show up? That didn't make any sense. I would have loved to see him just fight a bunch of holidays. That would work. For Leprechaun. Me. It's, it's been, Oh, it's been done. Arbor day. Come on, man. Bring in the ends. Um, yeah. But going off of Greg's format, um, there's another thing I'd like to recommend that I think is, is a, a more solid product. Uh, and that is, it's a comic book and it is a super powered revenge Christmas. And it is written by Bill Corbett of Rift Tracks and Mystery Science Theater 3000 and illustrated by animator Len Peralta. Uh, it is a lot of fun. It's only like $4 on a Kindle, uh, or you can of course buy a physical copy, which I recommend it's, it's worth it. And of course you're supporting a fantastic comedian and actor Bill Corbett and, uh, excellent independent animator, Len Peralta. So check that out. That is Super Powered Revenge Christmas. Super-Powered Revenge Christmas. All right, Greg, would you recommend this movie? Who would you recommend it to and why? Um, no, I would not <laughs> recommend it to anyone. Um, 
which is a shame. I, again, I think uh, you summed up best. I'm, I'm not mad at this film. I'm just disappointed. Um, there, there's a lot going for it, and it just it falls apart, and I, I can't put the pin on where, but a lot lacking. Um, to that end, um, yeah, I already said Apocalypto. Go check that out. Um, watch Heavy Metal, which I, I would be shocked if this team had not seen that. They must have. Um, Everyone yeah, who it, makes an adult animated film with action has to have seen it. And yeah. Getting into that, it reminded me too, the opening scene of this has more promise than I feel like the film delivers because the opening scene has this That's disturbing a, image of like, it's like a woman suspended in by like tubes with like um, three rows of breasts that is like feeding a machine. And then there's like a cityscape in the background with like dingy looking New York City streets. And we're never in the city, except there's one scene where we're in like an empty building in the city uh, and that's mm -hmm. it. And we don't see that character. We don't see any of this world that they just promised us. We just see robots, mutants, Santa, gunfire. That's really it. Um, Mandy, yeah. would you recommend this film? Who to and why? High school boys that have a garage band. Heavy metal persuasion. Oh, that is, that is pretty, that, that, that I feel attacked. Um, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I think in high school, this sort of would have been a little cult hit, uh, mm -hmm. in our circles. Um, and I, again, I'm not mad at it. Uh, I'm not mad at it. That as, as you said, Greg, what it reminded you of, it sort of reminded me of, um, Super Jail, the adult swim, so Super Jail. And I, that's a really good one. I adore Super Jail. Um, especially the first season, uh, the, the, the first season, the animation crew, everything, it is just off the wall madness, immoral bizarreness, just everything out the window. That's sort of what this felt like at its best times, but it never reached that peak and it often dipped below. So um, if you like Super Jail and you just want something different or you want something Christmas themed and obviously Super Jail's not around anymore, check out Infinite Santa 8000. You know, um, it is available right now on, on YouTube. So you really don't have an excuse not to, to give it a try. And uh, I want to encourage more people to make offbeat animated films. I feel like the United States has really struggled with that, even with Adult Swim. We get some TV shows. I'm a huge Aquatine Hunger Force fan. I miss it. Um, but it, it had its run. But I think UK, excuse me, I think Europe has the handle on this uh, generally, especially France with their interesting animated films and other countries are getting involved. So the U.S., you know, support films like this. Even if they're not perfect, I want more. I think we need to encourage more. We need to get the tools in the hands of people who can create unique things. So uh, kudos on that front. Well, that is it for us for this episode of Cult and Classic Podcast. Playing us out, as always, is The Chud with All About Evil. Thank you so much, Mandy, Greg, and I am Nate Wyckoff. Visit us at cultandclassicpodcast.com as well as on Instagram at cultandclassicpodcast and on Facebook, cultandclassicpodcast. I want to say thank you to our listeners, new and old, and send us emails. If you want us to review your movie, your book, your toy, whatever you want, send it to us. Reach out to us at coltonclassicpodcast.gmail.com. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.